Words from the Hills, reconfigure your life, change your heart, and prepare you for all that God has destined you to be. Welcome to the Hills Church. What I want to share this morning, I, call, I titled it The Season of the Remnant. It's, it's been in my, my heart for, I actually checked, I, I actually put the theme in January, and I hadn't written it, but it was in my heart. And uh, from time to time, I just pick a scripture and just drop it. I, and I sat down in the last, I was in a butcher about two weeks, for two weeks. And for two weeks, I was sharing this thing because it, it came to the surface and I felt it's time to share it. And um, it just speaks to me of a number of things God has been laying my heart for the last six months. But each one becomes a key. And I begin to understand. Well, last time I was here, I think I talked about the divine nature or something. It, that also is a key in, the, in, in it. And I, and I discovered that it's all coming together. Not a book, leave me alone. <laughs> um, and I, I just want to, because it, 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 it really is for the time we're in. Um, and the same scripture I want to look at is 2 Kings chapter 19. 2 Kings 19. And I'm looking at verses 30 and 31. It says, and the remnant who have escaped of the house of Judah shall again take root downward and then bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant. And those who escape from Mount Zion, it says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And I think we've been talking about the remnant, the remnant church. We've been talking about... Um, so the, the church, as we, as we know it, is the body of Christ, right? But in that body of Christ lies the one that the, the Lord will use, and it is not everybody. Why do I say that? Jesus said, on that day, many will come and say, and he will say, depart from me, for I know you not. You are a worker of iniquity. And they'll say, how come? In your name, we did this. We cast out devils. We did this. We did that. And he says, I know you not. I mean, for, that, for me, that's one of the most scary things. That you live your whole life thinking you have hammered and you have blown and everything. And you have done well. And then you get there and it's like everything you did was rubbish. In Corinthians, it talks about trying our works by fire. And that if your works are stubble, they will burn very well. And that is scary, to live your whole life and it's meaningless. And so, it speaks of the ones he will use. Who are they? It says the remnant. And one thing I, I discover about the remnant, you know, maybe just for purpose of um, we're English students, what does remnant mean? And I checked up the, the definition of remnant. You know, a remnant, it says it's a part or a quantity that is left after the greater part has been used, removed, or destroyed. So, you've taken out the most. So, the remnant always speaks of a small portion, sometimes insignificant. When we're in school, and when you go to the dining hall, you go late, you have what is called Remy left. <laughs> and Remy is not enticing at all. You might not even have meat. <laughs> so the connotation we have in the world is that remnant is something that should be discarded. It's not something that is fancy. But God said it's the remnant I will use. 
It says, biblical um, context. It's, this is from the dictionary. It says, it's a small minority of people who will remain faithful to God and so be saved. You know, scripture says that he's able to save with thousands, but he will save by his hand. The remnant are those who understand the workings and the movings of God. Scripture describes Moses. It says, the children of Israel knew God's acts, but Moses knew his ways. And that is the target, because the ways can bring about his acts. The acts are just the benevolence and mercy of God. His acts are open to everybody. But the one who can move his hand to do not just the acts, but the things that are spectacular are the ones who know his ways. Please follow me closely. I'm building up to something. So what really was clear to me is that the remnant speaks of those who have gone through a press and have come out decimated as it might seem, but they're the ones who are effective. Now, if you look at this scripture I just read, 2 Kings 19, if you go read 18 and 19, that is the time when Sennacherib, who was the king of Assyria, had surrounded Jerusalem in the time of Hezekiah and was threatening that I'm going to destroy you. In fact, was announcing out there that better surrender because your God is not able to save you. All the gods of the other nations, we have taken them and carried them away and destroyed all of them. So your God is not able to save you. The people Hezekiah sent to him said, speak in um, Hebrew. So he said, no, he spoke in, um, no, speak in Aramaic, which was the, Syrian, the Assyrian language. He said, no, we spoke in Hebrew so that others could hear and they would know that they are deceiving you. I mean, it was really that bad. And then Hezekiah now wrote, uh, the letter he wrote to Hezekiah, Hezekiah took it to the Lord. It was in that place that this scripture came out. So remnant always comes out of a place of pressure. In fact, there's another scripture in... Um, I think it's uh, Isaiah 1.9. It says, unless the Lord of hosts had left to us a very small remnant, would have become like Sodom, would have been made like Gomorrah. And we know what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. It was leveled to the ground, annihilated. It says, except the Lord left that small remnant, again, small, it says, would have been wiped out. So the remnant is that small, insignificant group that the Lord will use. So the remnant always comes out of a press, out of a situation that has been dire. Let me illustrate with scripture. The story of Gideon. Gideon had an army of 32,000 men and they were facing the Midianite army. And Calculations say they were over 150,000. Some say it's 300,000. Let me just stay with 150. Now, 32,000 to 150,000 is already like one to five, right? I mean, even if you took five of me versus who is the biggest person here? Whoever the biggest person here is, if you took five, okay, let me look for the smallest person. Five of that person to take on that one big person, there is no way. One hold one leg, one hold one leg, one hold one hand, four, and then one punch his face. They will take him out. It's not possible. 
And then God's witness is that that army is too large. There's a problem. And God says, tell those who are afraid to go home. 10,000 go home. 22,000 left. The odds are even higher. Maybe six to one thereabouts. And God says, it's still too much. <laughs> if I was in the army, I would run at that point. Because this suicide mission. And God says, okay, don't worry. I will select. You would think the selection will bring maybe 2,000 will go home. From 22,000, they came down to 300. 300. If there's any description of remnant, that's it. 300. By then, please, who knows much? What's the odds at that point? One to how many? 50 or something. At that point, you know when they play American football or rugby? When they just pile on one person. <laughs> but God was specific in, you see, the remnant is not just what is left over. And that's what I want us to pick. That literal definition of remnant speaks of what is left over, which most times seems useless. But in the mind of God, the remnant speaks of what is the cream of the crust. It is not just anybody. It is the qualified. Because he said, I will give them a test. And the test was to drink water. And in that test, what does drinking water have to do with fighting? Nothing. But he was testing for some quality. The way you drank the water, you know, if you are thirsty, I haven't seen water. You just dive into the water and drink. But those who are alert to the environment is the ones God was looking for. Because remember, this army hadn't got one sword between them. The 300 men only had lanterns in one hand and trumpets in the other. Not one had a pen knife. And we're going to face this army. That's, 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 that's craziness. But he wanted those who would be alert and sensitive and full of faith, able to go. In Acts chapter 6, where God said, uh, the Holy Spirit said, set aside some people as, and, as deacons, the first set of deacons. If you read the qualities of those guys and read in Titus and Timothy, the qualities of bishops, it's the same thing. And what were those guys to do? Wait on tables. In God's mind, it's not about, you see, we're too position-oriented. God wants people who will do his will. Jesus said, my meat that which sustains me is to do the will of the Father and finish his work. The things of God are very simple, but our mindsets are the problem. And so those 300 were people of faith, people who are sensitive and ready. And if you remember the story, God said, when there were now 300, he said to Gideon, if you are afraid, go down with your armor bearer to the camp of the enemy and you hear something. So, you know, I, I like to extrapolate. He went with his armor bearer. That meant he was afraid. I mean, who wouldn't be afraid? 300 versus one army, their camp. If I had their camp, one section alone is bigger than your army. And he says when he got there, he heard one of the Midianites saying to the other that he had a dream that a barley loaf fell into the camp and destroyed their tents. And he says that guy's interpretation is that's the sword of Gideon. So it says Gideon came away and worshipped. Because he knew he had won. Now, did he have a sword? Oh. So what gave him the temerity to think he had won? 
So he called the 300 and they worshiped together. And then they set themselves in battle array with trumpets and lanterns. No weapon. But they got the victory. I'm trying to paint a picture so you understand what remnant is. It's not just anybody. It's people who are qualified. Second example, in Genesis, I think it's 14. Abraham, when Lot was captured, when five, five or three kings came against Sodom and Gomorrah and came and overran the place and took Lot and all his property, he says Abraham took his 318 trained, and I want to underline trained men who were born in his house. I believe he had more servants than that. But these were trained and they were born in his household. And when you get to 17, you see where God said, cut a covenant with me where you will circumcise every male that is of your generations and those born in your house, even those you bought from foreigners as a sign of a covenant. And God said, I know Abraham that he will teach his generations. He will teach them in my way. So those guys were not just any 318. That number is small. The whole army they were fighting was bigger. But they were trained. That means I know that they, learned, they, they knew how to fight with God. And you see it in Eliezer the servant that Abraham said to go find a wife for Isaac. He said, hinder me not. And he, he said the Lord should direct his path. And he found a wife. So those are people who know how to navigate in the way of God. So all I'm trying to get you to understand is that the remnant does not speak of just anybody. It speaks of a specially chosen. And the choosing is usually through pressure. So you will go through things. You'll be shaken like a rag doll. But when you are left standing, you know that you are light and ready. The shaking is meant to take off the things that are not meant to be with you. John 15 says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. Any branch that does not bear fruit is cut off and cast away. But the one that bears fruit will be pruned. If you know anything about vine dressing, a vine is a very lush plant that grows very, its foliage is very, very prolific. But the weight of that makes it sag. And once it does, the, the dust and mud affect its ability to procreate. So you have to keep cutting off so that it stays healthy. And that's what pruning is about. If you are, if you are the plant, you will understand. They are cutting things off you. So for us, pruning speaks of taking off things, excess baggage that prepares, make us light. So for those of you, which is almost everybody, going through things now, stop trying to escape it. There's no need. It's like, when you have a cold, it must run its course. If you try to circumvent it, you will go back to beginning and start again. You must pass that exam. Mm. So what I picked up is that the, when a remnant emerges or is imminent, it means there's a reset at hand. And so even in Nigeria today, there seems to be a lot of confusion. <laughs> I've stayed in this Second Kings for a while because this is the same one where everything seemed futile and hopeless for, for Jerusalem. 
And when Hezekiah put that letter before the Lord, the Lord came back and said, don't worry, that I assigned the king of Assyria to punish, but he's overstepped his bounds. I will deal with him. I will make him hear a rumor and he will go back home and be destroyed. And he says, that night, the Lord sent one angel, one. And that angel took out 185,000 men in that night. You know, I like to read the bad Bible very literally. You know, if you kill someone by stabbing him or shooting, it will take you at least 10 seconds. Anyhow, no matter how fantastic you are, calculate 10, by, 10 seconds by 185,000. How many hours is that? It's more than three days. I had to sit down, you know, but I was trying to really understand the magnitude of that. One angel took out 185,000 men in one night. I told Lord, please, borrow us that angel in Nigeria. <laughs> That's still my prayer. <laughs> Just borrow us. And you know that angel is like a drone. He targets. He, does, he, can, he can come to this place and target the ones. <laughs> but on a serious note, when you understand the ways of God, you don't worry about certain things. Things might seem... You see, because I say to people that right from the beginning of this whole matter, I have not been bothered because I remember the days of Abacha. We had prayed till we are, we are, we are almost dying. And everybody just resigned themselves to our feet. And then Apple happened. And the equation changed overnight. And if you, were, if you knew anything about that period, if Abiola took his mandate, there was trouble. If he didn't take it, there was trouble. God equalized it. Reset. So I understand this thing. I'm not just talking from... Because at that point, who do you want to fight? It's like, okay, let us now begin. So this was the context of that scripture. And that was when God reset things. And he says, out of, the rem out of this, these ruins will a remnant emerge. And their task is to take root downward and then bear fruit upward. The little uh, Greek science we remember, you know, we always used to do that uh, experiment of cotyledon and one one thing, one thing. You put one plant in the soil, to be watching it, and then about three days later, you see a shoot come out. There's a process that must happen. You can't circumvent it. That root, that period of rooting, is a dark, dead period except a corn of wheat falling to the ground and die. It abides alone. But when it does, it comes forth and it bears much fruit. So that period, that dark period, is the period where you go through the pruning. But the result, just as John 15 says, is you are pruned so that you bear much more fruit. And that's the function of the remnant. That remnant has to be Taken through things that will cut off a lot of excesses and allow you focus on being fruitful. One more example. In 1 Kings 19, and that's the story of Elijah, after Jezebel just sent one 
message that made a grown man scamper for his life. You know, I've always wondered about that. They just send you a message, you got the message, and you start running. How? <laughs> you have just killed 850 prophets by yourself. You, you have disgraced all of them and killed them. The one lady just sends you a, a message that if I don't kill you today, the guy just runs. Is it normal? You must ponder on some things. Because you can understand the demonic weight behind that message. It wasn't just a message. It was, it was a special package. <laughs> so, Elijah was running. And the angel came to him and gave him food, bread and water. That kept him for 40 days. And he, God came to him and said, why are you here? And his response was, from about 12 or thereabouts, was, he was just saying, lamenting, I'm the only one. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not better than my father's. And literally, just killed me. And then God took him to a cave in the mountain. And he gave him a test. It says it, the earthquake came, the wind came, and all that. And a still small voice. And he correctly discerned that God was in the still small voice. Then he asked him the same question. And in 14, he gave the same answer. And that always baffled me because you correctly discern God, but you can't understand the situation. And he says, and he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've torn down your altars and they've killed your prophets with the sword. He says, I alone am left and they seek to take my life. In 17, but then he says, go ahead and anoint Elisha in your place. Then anoint Jehu as king of Israel and Hazael as king of Syria in place of Ben-Hadad. And in 17, it says that it shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. And that gave me understanding of what his mandate was. He thought he was meant to take out Jezebel. But that wasn't his mandate. His mandate was to set in motion a plan that God had. God looks and says, I want a nation. I want an army. He looks for a man. He doesn't create the nation. He set things in motion, always uses a seed. He's, he created a seed and the seed replicates itself. That's how God works. So he set Elijah, Elijah to start it. And that was his mandate. But he thought he was meant to, he thought he had failed. It is important you understand what God called you for and to. So that you don't give yourself unnecessary grief. Imagine all the dissipation of energy. Feeling I'm sorry for myself. You just wasted time. And then in 18, he says, yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel. All of them, their knees have not bowed to bear. And every mouth that has not kissed him. That is another remnant. Now, this 7,000, please mark it. He didn't say prophets. He says, I have 7,000. What was the task of that 7,000? It was to rebuild. Because Israel had gone apostate. They had gone away from God. And Elijah came and sparked off a revival. 
that if Ibea be Ibea, let him be God. If God is God, let him be God. And he showed very strongly that God is God. That, that needed something to entrench and engender the culture of God again. Those were the 7,000. What was their qualification? It says they had not bowed to Baal. And they had not kissed him. You know, in those days, you had to show obeisance by kissing the hand of the Lord. They had not done either. And it's not that, like Obadiah, that they had been hidden in a cave. How many, which cave would take 7,000? They were all over the place. It's like the three Hebrew boys. Oh, king, we're not mindful. Our God is able to save us. And even if he doesn't, so be it. So you see that when it comes to remnant, we're talking about a qualified, set-apart, consecrated group of people. A small group, it is not the number that matters. It is the content. It is the makeup. And that's what God looks for. So in this age, bring it home. God is not looking for flaky people. Last year, COVID really opened and, you know, God said, I've taken the children of Israel to the wilderness. He says, the only reason I took you there is to see what's in your heart, to try you and see what's in your heart. That's what he did with COVID. He didn't bring it, but he allowed it to expose all our katakata. One scripture that has always guided me in trying to walk in faith is in Hebrews 11. That is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He didn't say those who seek him. Those who diligently seek him. In Deuteronomy 28, you'll see where it says, if you don't serve the Lord with gladness, he will send a sword after you and destroy you. He didn't say if you don't serve him. He said if you don't serve him with gladness, so you can serve him and he will send his sword after you. God is very simple. We're the ones who make him very complex. Very simple. He loves a cheerful giver. He doesn't love a giver. He loves a cheerful... See, let me tell you something about giving. Don't allow anybody to hype you. If you don't feel like giving, don't give. It's better. I have never been able to fathom in my mind why people play with God when it comes to things like that. In Ecclesiastes, it says, don't make a vow and not keep it because God looks at you like a fool. So I... I, I I don't know if you remember, there was a time when they called for pledges in Deda. The pledges were 400 million. Mm. Finished this thing in six weeks. It was clear. 400 million. The pledges were good. The problem was some people didn't have the money. Two people I know who go and pledge 100 million didn't have one. No. And there was $33 million. Three people. $33 million, That's 10, 10, 10. You don't have up to 100,000 naira. You are pledging $10 million. That's foolishness now. You know, really, 
I know there's a place of faith that, Lord, if you give me this, but be careful. God, <laughs> why will he give you? God will not finance your bad behavior. Because we, you know, when we are looking for money, even when you're going to ask someone for money, you are so good and nice and gentle. When you get the money, they ask you, time has passed. Uh-huh. We are badly behaved. We are badly behaved. So please, when it comes to giving to God, be very deliberate, intentional about it. Don't let anything face you. Because it's you and God that we meet. On that day, we play video of your life. Everything. Nobody will be there to you. You can't say it was this person. You can't. It's going to make you responsible for your actions. That was a digression, but I think it was necessary. Because people are playing with God now. And God is just looking at you like Uza. One day we strike. And then people will say, ah, God, why now? Where was I? So the 7,000, they were set apart for a rebuilding. And that's what I see. God is raising a remnant. What it tells me, not just in Nigeria, the world today, because the world is confused. Nobody has answers. Anybody who tells you has the answer is just cast the devil out of him. He's lying. Nobody has the answers. Nobody. It's as if we're just waiting for something to happen that will be a signpost. But God says the men and the sons of Issachar were men who understood the times and they knew what Israel ought to do. They were of the old covenant. We are of the new. There is no way we cannot know. So if we don't know, that's, our work has to be go and ask till you know. And don't try and pretend you know. The worst thing you can do is pretend because you just take someone coming out who has a little more knowledge than you to just show you up and then you'll be disgraced. I'm just touching on things because there's too much to say. In Romans 11, 4, 5, you know, and it blew my mind. It was last Sunday when I was going to share. I just felt, check something, and I checked. And this scripture, it just popped up and blew my mind. Up. It says in Romans 11, verse 4 and 5, it says, but what does the divine response say to him? It says, I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Behar. Even so then, at this present time, there's a remnant that is according to the election of grace. And that just, just bubbled in my spirit about Nigeria. It says, even in this present time, there's a remnant. There's a remnant. The question is, are you part of that remnant? How many people are part of that remnant? Are you sure? What gives you the temerity to think you're part of it? Well, grace is not enough. Oh, because you face some of the challenges that will come. Remember, a remnant always comes out of pruning. Let me ask all of you a question. Having stayed in Abuja for a while, it has made me understand that we're very flaky here in the South. Let's be truthful to ourselves. Your problem, if, if the service goes on, T2, we'll complain, many would have gone. And when it comes to working with God, 
if you're traveling from Lagos and from Abuja to just Kaduna anywhere, you can be abducted. If you're abducted and they tell you, denounce Christ or die, what will your response be? And I'm talking reality right now. This is not conjecture. Because you, you travel, you travel with prayer and angelic protection. Not even the soldier or Mopo can protect you. Those guys are more equipped than them. And many are in cohorts. What would you do? I'm trying to bring it home. Because, you see, it's no longer fun and games. Even traveling from here to Oshobo, a lot of stuff is happening. What will your response be? So when you're quick to say I'm part of the remnant, it's not by, it's not by because I feel or I want or it sounds appealing. You go through the fire. Isaiah 43, it says you will go through the waters. They won't drown you. You'll go through the fire. It won't burn you. But you will go through. It didn't say you divert or bypass. You will go through. Those Hebrew boys, they, they knew what it meant. They will be roasted like suya. But they said we're not mindful. Have you gotten to that point? We overcame with the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Everybody stops there, full stop. But it says, and we, over, we, <laughs> we love not our lives unto death. It says, until your obedience is complete. You know, we need to begin to read scripture in its full context. Because it's no longer fun and games. It's not. So if you say you want to be part of that remnant, brace yourself because you will be tried. I have, a, I have a conviction. If you profess faith in something, that faith must be tried. It must be tried. How else will you know? I came here to challenge us today. What we see, you know, what we're seeing, we're, just, we're seeing the last vestiges. It's like a calm before a storm. When the storm hits, be ready. Be ready. Everybody is saying the solution to the problem is restructuring. I saw a, a protest in Washington asking for Yoruba Nation. We have IPOB, we have everybody. If you divide the country, are we ready? It's not about just dividing, but you can do it by law. Does that solve any South Sudan and Sudan, are they okay? Let me plug into straight away just a few things to just share with us. What, what, what does it, what's the makeup of, and, and I'm cutting a lot just to work in time, but I just came to activate something in your minds. Or let me even put another scripture so that I want to make sure you leave here knowing that if you want to be in that remnant, the exam you will do, and you will do like this. It's not uh, straightforward. Psalm 66, you know, we quote that scripture in verse 12 that, he has brought, he's brought me into a wealthy place, right? Remember that scripture? He's brought me into a broad, moist, vast place. But I want to take it from verse 10, Psalm 66. It says, for you, O God, have proved us. You have tried us as silver is tried, refined and purified. You brought us into the net, the prison fortress, the dungeon. I'm reading the Amplified. It says, you laid a heavy burden upon our hearts and you caused men to ride over our heads when we were prostrate. We went through the fire 
and through the water. It says, but you brought us out into a broad, moist place to abundance and refreshment and the open air. We're always quick to go to, you brought us into a broad place, but what was the trajectory to get there? God himself caused you to go through fire. Cost, you know, the worst thing you can do. When I read that in King James, I think this one helped me. You know, when you are fighting, when we are small, when you fight, you put sand in your mouth. After, to show you have won, you lay the person over and put sand in the mouth. Then you know that you have won. That's the worst thing you can do to someone. When you are down already, then you now trample me. That, that's like double jeopardy. But he says he has caused you to go through that. Then he brings you out. Don't be in any doubt that to qualify for that remnant, you must go through things. It's not cause. That's the way God causes things. He says you go through the wilderness, an 11-day journey, pass the test, you come out. They took 40 years and they failed. Only two out of that how many million came out. Job said in Job 23, in the midst of all his troubles, he said, I looked for him on the left. I looked for him on the right. Looked forward, backward. I couldn't find him. I didn't know he was hiding. He said, but whichever way I go, I know I will come out as gold. That's a remnant. That's a remnant. Because the testimony God had of him was that he said to Satan, have you considered that he's boasting that this one is, is a correct guy? And Satan said, of course I have now. He said, you have built a fortress around him. I can't get to him. Can God say that about us? Wherever you are today, I want you to really understand the times we live in. Times are short. Someone I know His friend lost, he lost his brother, her brother lost his friend, his closest friend, two days ago. Just didn't wake up, 28. The mother is distraught, naturally. I say to people, do you know, we go to bed every day expecting to wake up the next day. What gives you the right to think you can? What gives you the confidence to think that you go to bed, you must wake up? Our lives are in his hands. If we were God, you would have killed everybody else because we get annoyed on the slightest thing. But he's a merciful God. But we don't trifle with his mercy. The only sure thing that keeps you in today's world is that you stay in his presence. That's why I just, I'm so blessed by the worship this morning. It took me to a place where I honestly didn't feel like saying a word. Just wanted to worship all the way. That's the most secure place for me. And he has come to find trouble. <laughs> He's calling me, calling me. <laughs> so, a few qualities of the remnant so that we, we, we begin to picture it and begin to model yourself. It's not something you will do in your strength. It's not. But the Lord can lead you. And it's good when you know what your target is and begin to walk in that realm. The first one is something I've already touched on. 
it is people of deep faith. Like the 7,000, they've not bowed themselves to Baal. Even in the face of persecution, Daniel and his, you know, Daniel is another one that just blows my mind. Daniel wasn't, it, things didn't just happen with Daniel. And when you read the book of Daniel, in the lion's den and all that, you understand that he was someone who was very intentional. In Daniel 1, it says, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, had said, select me amongst the royal seed, those that are intelligent, and train them in our ways. The ways of the Chaldeans, they were unbelievers. They were into astrology and stuff. They were advanced in the area of science and astronomy and all that. So, of course, Daniel learned witchcraft. Sounds heretic, but it's true. Because if what, what they're teaching you in their place. But his motivation was God. Because in Daniel 1.8, the king had said, bring them and feed them from my table. Give them meats from my table for a space of a year and then we'll test them. And then it says in Daniel 1.8, and Daniel purposed in his heart he would not defile himself. That position was one that was suicidal because if the king gives an edict or an instruction, if you defy it, you get killed. Esther said, the king has not stretched out his scepter to me. If I go before him, I'll be killed. That was how brutal they were. So the, the eunuch told him, you want to cause problem for me? And he said, try me. Give us 10 days. Give us water and bread and come and test us. From, like I said, I like to extrapolate. If you understand, I know that Daniel went back and told God, I have put you on the spot. You have to support. Why do I know that? When Nebuchadnezzar had a dream in Daniel 2 and said to the, he said, all the wise men, bring them. They should, I don't remember the dream. Tell me the dream and interpret it. They say, ah, how can you do that? That's wickedness. Now, nobody has ever done that. He said, okay, kill all of them. And Daniel told you, you know, why is the king so hasty? Bring us to the king. He went there and told the king, Give us time, we'll tell you. And he went back and prayed. So that's why I know that that's what he would have done. Because unless God had told him before that he wouldn't die, there's no way he would have believed it. He would have gone back. So you see, and please mark my words, Daniel was about 17 at the time. He wasn't an adult. He was 17. He was 18. But he had that deep revelation of God. So he took that position right from them and they tested them and he says they were fairer and more robust than all the others and they left him. At the end of the year when they tested him, he says they were 10 times wiser than all the others. Then the lion's den issue, they said they had looked for what to find that was wrong with Daniel. They couldn't find and they decided the only way to trap him is his faith. So they went to the king and got the king to agree to it. Said, you know how like Ariabo is father, Allah, ye Baba. Only you be after God than you, nobody. And then they told him, Don't let anybody, don't let anyone pray to any other God or any person except you for the next 30 days. And the king liked it and passed the edict. And he says, I know they moved to Daniel's house from that point. And he says, if you look at that scripture, he says, when Daniel knew. 
So this one is he knows that the punishment for this is being thrown to the lion's den. He says he went home and opened his window and prayed towards Jerusalem as he had always done. So he knew what would happen, but he did it. And he was thrown into the lion's den. At that point, the king was sad because he knew he had been tricked. And he did a vigil for Daniel that night. First thing in the morning, he ran there. Daniel, are you still there? He said, yes, my God has saved me. Aha. Carry those people, throw them in. You know, I'm trying to make us, when we read scripture, understand the underlying things in scripture. That thing is just, it's like a story. But that was the trial of a man's faith who God was pleased in. If you read about Daniel, Daniel outlived five kings. When Nebuchadnezzar died, his son, Belshazzar, who was Belteshazzar, who was Belshazzar? He, Daniel was Belteshazzar. Then Belshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar's son, was drinking with the cups from the temple, just feeling good with himself. Then one hand, without body, just came and wrote. When you see that one, even you, <laughs> your heart will cut. Hand. <laughs> even Nollywood can't produce that one. <laughs> and the queen mother said there is a man who the gods are with. He's the only one who can interpret this. Send for him. Even when they hate you, they will call you. Daniel told the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, behave. If not, you'll be sent to eat grass. He gave him the dream. But he went ahead and did it and he was taken away. So first thing is that people of deep faith and the natural outcome of that is boldness. That's why I asked you that question. If they tell you, and I didn't ask you to put your hand up, go and answer it on your own. Because we will get to that place. You'll be tried, not necessarily that situation, but you'll be tried in situations because you have heard what I've said today. Our lives are always about decisions. It's about choices for or against God. As simple as what you wear. If you're a lady, you say choice. I won't go beyond that. So, people of deep faith who are bold even in the face of persecution. And the boldness comes from knowing who you serve. Second thing, Ezekiel chapter 9. It says, God said to, he was tired of what was happening in Jerusalem and sent an angel or called the angels over the city. There were about five or six of them. He said to one who had an ink horn, go around and mark everyone who has cried out for righteousness in the midst of this apostasy. Then he said to the other ones, go after him and anyone who doesn't have the mark, slaughter. Utterly slaughter. Men, women, children, old, young, everybody. And he says, start in the house of God. And Ezekiel was like, God, why the house of God? He says, let me show you and opened up the occultic things that were going on. God has started. You understand? I won't need to say more than that. This is another scripture that I've been ruminating on. Pastor Mo, I've been talking about this scripture for how many years? 
It is those who will stand in the place of righteousness and will cry out even in the midst of what's happening. Because when things, you don't just adjust to things. You take a position. And you're constantly asking, Lord, how long, Lord? How long? A third thing. People who are resilient. I just talked about Job. What Job went through, I don't wish it on even my enemy. Because because of God's boast of him, his world turned upside down. And you know, it's not, you know how we do at once in one, at once. Everything he lost in one day. It's not after, after, after. No. He says, as this one was leaving, another person came and said, this one, the sheep, the cattle, the this, the that, and then his ten children. Everything in one day. And his response is the Lord gives, the Lord takes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That scripture is one of the most challenging to my faith. Because I know that there's no way I can be like Job. I know. It takes God to carry you. The grace of God to keep you in that place. So God is looking for people who are resilient. In the midst of all that happens, you will stand. Because Job said, no matter which way I go, I know I will turn out as gold. He says, I know my Redeemer liveth. The fourth thing is a people who have discernment and are very resilient in the spirit. The story in Matthew 25 of the 10 virgins. It says all of them were virgins, which speaks of purity, which speaks of righteousness and all that. But it says five carried extra oil. Five didn't. They all had oil to light their lamps with. But five had extra oil. And when the time came, that's when you discerned and distinguished one group from the other. Because the other group, their oil had finished. And they missed the marriage supper of the lamp. Remember Gideon's army. The test was how do you drink water? Sensitivity to the spirit. Now more than ever, it is critical. Critical. And I remember at the day of the Lord conference, Tiffany and Tommy, differently, without hearing Tommy hearing Tiffany, said the same thing. Discernment is not about discerning right from wrong. It's discerning right from almost right. The Bible says that even the elect will be deceived. And that is what we must be very careful and mindful of in this day. Because there's all kinds of stuff going on in the name of Christ. 
He says in the final days, there will be many who come. Wolves in sheep clothing. Trying to entice you and saying, the Lord is here, the Lord is there. God is able to stand up for his church. He will when it's time. But he expects us to descend. And I want to share a scripture to make us understand why we need to about Peter. In Acts chapter 10, when Cornelius, he says he prayed, uh, he, he always used to bring, he was not a, he wasn't a Jew, but he used to give um, sacrifice to God. And one day he said, go and look for Peter. A man, Simon, go to Joppa and look for a man, uh, Simon Peter and let him come and speak to you. And he says they went to look for Peter. While they were on the way, Peter was waiting for food and he fell into a trance. And he saw a big sheet being dropped from heaven. It's in Acts 10, about in, uh, from 9 to 16 thereabouts. And there were all manner of animals, four-footed. You know, God had instituted in the book of Numbers like, the kinds of animals you eat, unclean, clean, and all that. That's why some people don't eat snail today. I chop it. <laughs> and Peter rejected it. The voice came from heaven and said, kill and eat. Peter said, no. Down clean. It came a second time. He said, no, it's unclean. It's as if, God, you said, you said it, why should I? And God said, don't call what I have sanctified and called clean, unclean. And he came a third time. He did the same thing. And he says the, the sheet was withdrawn. And then he went. But Paul's ministry was supposed to be for Peter. To the Gentiles. Because that was what God was going to do that day. Taking him to Cornelius. And that was the beginning of that ministry to the Gentiles. Which is what was always in God's heart. God had said right from Deuteronomy. That I will write my law in their heart. He had always intended. Yes, he chose Israel as a nation. His nation. But it was that it would be for the earth. So Peter missed it. And that's why I'm emphasizing this. That many times, even in the faith, we are doing the thing right from almost right. The only safe way is to be in tandem with God. So discernment is so key. A fifth one came to me this morning. And that is character and the divine nature. That's why I said, Pastor Mo, that, that that was one key. And so please pick that one to understand. He says, and Larry talked about that, that Paul says, I labor until Christ be formed in you and I will become partakers of the divine nature. What matters is character to God, not your ability, your skill. That's why the fruit of the Spirit is more important than the gift of the Spirit. Too many people covet the gifts. You want to operate in the power gifts. You want to be able to heal. You want to be able to prophesy. You want to be able to, 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 to bring word of knowledge. You want to be able to work miracles, healings. It's good. But what undergirds it? What's your character like? What do those behind the scenes say of you those things are more important to God when Jesus said 
I will say, depart from me. He will say, did you feed the poor? Did you visit those who are in prison? Because if you don't do it to the least of mine, you have not done it to me. Something a man of God said in the 90s that has never left my mind is that when we get to heaven, three things will shock you. One is how that rascally person who might not even be a Christian got to heaven. Because, you know, it is about, <laughs> it is about the heart. Oh. There are many people who are, who are in a different faith who have given their lives to Christ secretly that will make heaven. Many of us won't. Story of Naaman. Naaman said when he was healed to Elisha, permit me when I go with my master to the temple of his God to bow because he has to as the commander of his armies. That that's the only time he will bow. And Elisha says, go. So when he does it, It'll be like one little boy. They keep trying to hold him down. Sit down, sit down. He says, in my mind, I'm standing up. It's what your heart is fixed on that matters. Second thing that will shock you is how brother John, who was the prayer warrior, who prayed 10 hours. If you wake him up, he'll just give you one scripture. And the scripture is very accurate for what you want to ask him. He says, how he didn't make heaven. Because it's not by praying and quoting scripture that you get to heaven. And say the third and final thing is how you yourself got in. Because if you are the one judging yourself, you won't think you enter. It's profound. Because only God knows. But he has given us the pattern. Because he sent Jesus to come and model for us how we should live. And so, I'm almost done. Time-wise, or I'm out of time. I'm out of time. I just want to do a quick detour on the word Ecclesia. God reminded me of when Ecclesia started. Remember, there was a prayer meeting the day before. There's something I shared. The name of this ministry is Ecclesia Hills. If you look at Matthew 16, verse 18, that's the scripture where God said, I will, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Now the word church there is actually the Greek word ecclesia. Ecclesia is not church. Ecclesia is not church. It means an assembly. In the Greek, it is actually their parliament. A, a called out people who are called to debate and legislate. A governing body. That's what Ecclesia is. Our understanding of church is going to be very critical in understanding the remnant. Now, if you know a bit of history, and please go do the research yourself. William Tyndale was the one who did one of the first translations into English from Greek and Hebrew. At 42 years old, he was, he was strangled, death by strangulation, and then burnt for heresy. Because he translated, and that was the beginning of moving away. Then the Catholic Church was the church, and that caused the moving away. He was on the run for a while. He did the 
Old Testament and the New Testament and part of the Old Testament. He translated that and he was running and print, he, he, the printing press, that's when the, it came up and he printed and it was flooding everywhere. They were looking for him. His translation in 1542 translates Ecclesia as assembly. As assembly. In 1611, Bishop Bancroft, who was the Archbishop of Canterbury, commissioned by King James, did a translation for King James. That was when it was translated as church. Who is the head of Church of England? The king or queen is the head of the Church of England. And the minute you are talking about the ecclesia, a governing body, you are coming to question the authority of the monarchy. So they changed it to church. What does church mean? A place of worship, a, a, a place, a building, or a group of people who gather together. It keeps it at the level where it's just church, a religious gathering. But the ecclesia is the governing body. And I'm saying this, and this was what was impressed in my heart this morning, that you must understand that. That's the name of this ministry. It was not coincidental. And I shared that that day. That you must understand. And that's what God brought to my memory today. The remnant is those who understand that they are not called to do church. They are called to be a governing people. Am I saying you must go into politics? No. I'm saying that you must govern the, any of the mountains you find yourself. Those 7,000 were not prophets. They were not in church. They were people who were going to transform every sector they were involved in. I want us to pray this morning, two short prayers. So please, let's rise. Thanks for listening to this message from the Hills Church. Our mission is to love people, connect with family, and touch the world. Learn more on our website at www.ecclesiahills.org or email us at hello at ecclesiahills.org.